This is the April 7, 2023 Room Now podcast, and I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. Glad to have you here. This week, a lot of news. This week was the introduction of our campaign on women in rheumatology, the X Factor. I hope you've seen some of the content. We're really proud of it. I'm going to highlight it in many of the reports I'm going to review with you on this podcast. But first, let's talk about, I thought, a really interesting uh, publication in JAMA that uh, highlighted a recent AMA survey um, done in 2022 of prior authorizations and their effect. The bottom line is that 94% of physicians report significant delays in patient care associated with prior authorizations. That on average, this greatly affects patient care and how it's delivered in your office with um, most physicians spending up to two days a week in efforts to acquire prior authorizations with nearly 35% of all medical practices hiring additional staff to affect these prior authorizations. Um, And that when you ask physicians, they would say the hassle of going through prior authorizations leads to 80% abandonment of the prescription you are trying to get authorization for. Again, why would you want to be a physician when you've got to jump through all these stupid hoops? The good news is that CMS and Medicaid, Medicare have realized that this is a significant problem, that they have proposed new rules that are currently open for public comment on how to speed up the prior authorization approval process. Um, in this report that we've highlighted for you, there's also a call out to Congress where there's a significant need for a bipartisan effort to act on this problem because it not only affects physicians and how they practice, but it clearly has a dramatic effect on patient care. Um, It delays care. It leads to less than optimal care. Again, this is maybe one of the greatest headaches that medical practices have to deal with it. And doctors not wanting to deal with these kind of headaches usually end up having to pay for it because they have to hire more people to do the work, to stay on the phone, to talk to a person who's got a third grade education, who's going to deny care. Honestly, this is just so stupid. It's unbelievable. But don't get me started. But you can get me started on novel new therapies for polymyalgia rheumatica. I saw an interesting uh, pilot trial. It's a proof of concept trial using rituximab in PMR. Now, it wouldn't be my first thought from a biologic standpoint, like a mechanistic standpoint, but nonetheless, the Bridge PMR proof of concept study was a study of 47 patients who received a single infusion of um, rituximab. And the point was to see what would happen to them at certain time points. I think like week 21 was a main time point, but basically after the infusion, they were followed for a year to see what would happen. And the bottom line was this was being used to see if it would lead to steroid sparing, and it clearly did. The um, percentage of patients who were in glucocorticoid-free remission at 12 months was greater within the rituximab group, 52%, than in those that were treated with placebo, 21%, and that was significant. There were no differences in side effects or adverse events or serious adverse events. Um, Again, proof of concept, maybe this merits further consideration. Another 
uh, early trial that we've reported on in the past because it's been presented at the last few Congress meetings is the use of emipalumab, a monoclonal antibody currently approved for uh, HLH use, uh, and, and it's a monoclonal antibody against gamma interferon. Um, this is now the final report of it being used to treat macrophage activation syndrome in patients who have systemic JIA, most of those being kids, some of them being adults with stills. Nonetheless, in the 14 patients, the results are dramatic. These patients with systemic disease have MAS, a bad, bad manifestation with a mortality rate up to 40%. So these patients are really a mess. But when you look at what happened to these patients, they're all on high-dose steroids. They all failed multiple other therapies that there were dramatic reductions in all the markers of MAS, soluble IL-2 receptors, ferritin levels, CXCL9, which is a surrogate marker for gamma interferon, uh, LDH drops dramatically, steroid use drops dramatically. Again, the outcomes are highly uh, impressive. That report is out there for you to use should you ever want to get this approved for one of your patients with MAS. Along these lines, treating systemic JIA patients or stills patients are um, inflammasome inhibitors. These are in development. I put up a link to a number of usually small biotech companies who are developing these uh, NLRP3 in, uh, inhibitors. Um, and there's a number of them there and they're being used to treat different cancers, Parkinson's, osteoarthritis of the knee, gout, cryopyrin associated periodic syndromes, CAPS, Schnitzler syndrome, just to mention a few. There's about six or seven of them that are out there. Again, you've never heard of the companies because they're small usually these companies develop them in phase one and early phase two, and if it looks promising, you know, one of the big pharma uh, companies usually will step up. I like this approach. I think it may have some promise for the future. Uh, an interesting study about depression and RA, something we don't pay attention to, and I'll say it right out. Right now, I think everyone that takes care of RA patients should be doing some sort of questionnaire or question about depression in your RA patients. I mean, we talked about it here before that depression when present can not only lead to a poor outcomes, it leads to higher mortality rates. That was a report from, I think, last year's ACR meeting. It was shocking data. Anyway, in this particular study, 182 adults with RA, uh, and they screened for um, um, depression and anxiety. Half had depression, 25% had anxiety, and patients who had either or had higher hack scores and higher activity scores as measured by DASH-28. Depression, not surprisingly, surprisingly, was more prevalent in women, housewives, and lower educational groups. Surprisingly, anxiety was higher in blue-collar workers. Would not have guessed that. Again, we should be using a screening tool for this in routine daily practice. Another exciting report of new development. Uh, Avi did a press release this past week about a really novel therapy for patients with active lupus. Um, upadacitinib, a JAK inhibitor being used in lupus. You know, a lot of JAK inhibitors have been tried in lupus. Um, baricitinib tried, did good in phase two, did not do well in phase three. Other um, JAK inhibitors are also in development. In this case, AbbVie's done a phase two trial in um, active lupus patients and what they were looking to do here that was novel was test upadacitinib versus the combination of upadacitinib and a BTK inhibitor called alzbrutinib 
when you put those two drugs together, Avi calls them ABBV599. So this, again, early phase two, met its primary endpoint of improving the uh, and showing a good SRI4 response and reducing steroid doses to less than 10 milligrams a day. No new safety signals, kind of exciting. Again, the BTK inhibitor is sort of what's new here. We know that the, the reason why a JAK inhibitor might work in lupus is because of its inhibition of, of, of uh, 1223, IL-12 and IL-23. Um, and with the BTK, it has a lot of B-cell effects, B-cell generation, immunoglobulins, but it also has effects on NF-kappa-B and also on a number of chemokines. Uh, and so it's not surprising this combination looked good. Now, will it pan out to be better than a JAK inhibitor alone? We need to see more studies going forward. We put up a report this week about antiphospholipid antibodies and incident cardiovascular events. This comes from JAMA as well. This is a um, data where they had stored samples prospectively acquired in the Dallas Heart Study, and they looked for association between anti-cardiolipin antibodies on those plasma samples and future atherosclerotic cardiovascular events. Specifically, they're looking at first non-fatal MI, first non-fatal CVA, or uh, death from cardiovascular disease. They tested for eight different types of antiphospholipid antibodies and found that any one of them at any single time point was present in 14.5% of the sample. So these would be um, patients roughly around age 50 to 55 um, and looking for risk factors for future cardiovascular events. One third of those patients had made, but moderate or higher titers of those antibodies. It turns out that higher titers were actually more predictive of future events. Um, most of these were uh, IgM, anti-carlipin antibodies. Um, and then when you looked at actually the predictive value, the best predictive value was seen with IgA, anti-cardiolipin, with a five-fold higher risk of future events, or beta-2 glycoprotein 1. Um, that was IgA, again, a hazard ratio of about three. Turns out if you had both of those, you had significantly higher risk. Again, this, these assays are not done in autoimmune patients. These are done in po the general population, about age 50, uh, and uh, looking for future associations. So, yes, brand new uh, cardiovascular event, you probably should be testing for um, antiphospholipid antibodies to see if that could be a potential uh, causative factor. Interesting data. Uh, the EMA also came out with its final um, approval or update of its guideline regarding JAK inhibitors and the risk of uh, major cardiovascular events, malignancy, and venous thromboembolic events that is available on the EMA website. As you know, the main difference here is the wording that's different than the FDA warning here. The EMA update says that JAK inhibitors should only be used if no suitable alternatives are available for these patients over age 65, those who are current or past smokers, those who have risk factors for cardiovascular or malignancy, um, those who, uh, who have risk factors for VTE should exercise caution if considering a JAK inhibitor. And the other thing that's new in here is they recommend periodic skin examination for all patients receiving JAKs because one of the main cancers that were followed, seen there was lung cancer, lymphoma, but also 
non-melanoma non skin cancer. So like the TNF inhibitors, routine annual skin checks are recommended in patients who are also taking JAK inhibitors. While all this data was generated as part of the oral surveillance study, which studied uh, TNF inhibitors versus tofacitinib, these recommendations on JAK inhibitors per the EMA apply to not just tofacitinib, but also baricitinib, upadacitinib, filgotinib, and abrocitinib, the other one that's out there. So as you may have seen, if you looked at the website or the email this week, there's a focus on women in rheumatology. We've been wanting to do this campaign for some time, cover a lot of the news. We've got some really interesting um, blogs, I think one on advocacy, one on mentoring that you really should look at. You should look at the the Tuesday night rheumatology we did, which had to do with um, balancing um, work life or balancing basically family and career issues. I thought it was a tremendous, really informative, really interesting presentation uh, of panelists done by uh, Dr. Rachel Tate, uh, Yvonne Shearer, um, uh, um, Marcy, um, oh, Marcy, I forget the last name, and, um, and, um, Who's the other? Um, Uma. Um, oh my goodness! Why, why am I blanking on this? I, I I really strongly recommend you look at this. I now have to look it up because this is embarrassing that I don't remember it all off the top of my head. Nonetheless, I think this is a really strong uh, one-hour presentation that um, I thought uh, was one of the best I, best I've seen in a while. So. Um, Una Macris, um, uh, and oh, Marcella Ferrada from the NIH. Shame on me. But you really should look at this or listen to this. It really was worth listening to. Some of the other things covered this past week in the in in this campaign. Uh, a study from the Desir early spondyloarthritis cohort, almost five hundred patients followed for six years, showed that women in that cohort, half of them were women, half of them were men, uh, had higher ASDAS CRP scores, activity scores, and higher patient global assessments when compared to men. Even though men and women had similar CRPs and structural damage was more um, prevalent in men, um, activity um, is often much higher in uh, the female cohort. Similarly, an analysis of almost 900 patients in the ankylosing spondylitis registry of Ireland showed that women had um, at baseline worse BASDI scores and worse quality of life scores compared to men. Um, and it turns out that actually those BASDI scores, which are made up of six individual components, they were each component was actually worse in women than in men, um, which goes to some of the reasons why treating uh, SPA and, and PSA is sometimes harder with um, uh, women. Uh, another analysis that was published, I think, in uh, J-Room looked at three um, pool data from three uh, RCTs comparing tofacitinib to adalimumab and PSA in 800 patients. Baseline, women had higher tender joint counts, enthesitis scores, HACDI, and facet uh, scores as well. Men had more dactylitis. Yet, when it came to outcomes in, that, in those, those trials, that there was an equal uh, outcome as far as men and women, as far as uh, ACR 20, 50, 70, POSSE 75, etc. But women were less likely to achieve um, uh, MDA responses with PSA. 
This has been seen in a number of different studies. So while some, some outcomes are the same, women tend to do worse in other, especially more superlative outcomes. Um, a U.S. physician survey um, showed, uh, looked at the number of physicians who are out there and basically workforce analysis and who's working, how much, et cetera. So this study um, showed that the number of physicians grew significantly in the last 20 years, uh, grew by almost 33%. Now there's 923,419 physicians in the United States per 2021. Um, so while the number of physicians grew, the average weekly work hours declined almost 7%, going down from 53 hours to 49 hours by 2021. The decline was driven mostly by males, especially fathers, who had the greatest decline of 12% in work hours. Men are working less. Uh, that's good for me as a man, um, is also more apparent in those who are physicians in rural areas uh, in a certain age group, 45 to 54. Uh, turns out that the only group that had a significant increase in number of hours worked were, that's right, women. Theirs grew by 3%, and that was a significant growth over the last 20 years. Um, the recent issue, Annals of Internal Medicine, or August 22 issue, Annals of Internal Medicine looked at uh, compensation levels between male and female physicians. Um, males were um, obviously outnumbering females in the workforce. So, but yet the number of women has grown significantly in the workers workforce. And even though the number of women being represented is far more in recent years, uh, women primary care doctors earn on average fifty eight thousand dollars less than male primary care physicians. There is this issue of um, unequal pay that still exists, although the gap is closing. The question is, is the gap closing in other areas? An interesting study from the Leiden Early Arthritis Clinic showed over 15, almost 20 years ago, that the significant delays that existed in referral of early arthritis patients, RA patients, was greatest in women who had early arthritis symptoms. As much as five weeks difference between female and male patients. So they looked at the uh, referral delays over the, from 2005 to 2020, 15 years, and showed that the referral delay has gone down quite a bit. But, and that by 2020, the referral delay is the same between males and females. Females um, being uh, seen, I think, 4.7 weeks, and males being seen 5.4 weeks after the onset of symptoms. So, A, that's good news, that there isn't this gender difference in referral of patients. B, it's still not that great. It still takes, uh, on average, five weeks for patients to get referred to a rheumatologist. I want to um, give you a quote from uh, Dr. Una Macris, one of my uh, good friends and uh, uh, physicians at UT Southwestern, who I thought said a great thing during the um, Tuesday night rheumatology session on work-life balance that you can find on Room Now or on the podcast. She said, you can have it all. This was one of her mentors told her. You can have it all, but you just can't have it all at the same time or all at one time. There was a lot of very smart things said by um, Marcy and Yvonne and Una during this, this uh, one-hour session. The next session, going to be next Tuesday, uh, is going to address contract negotiations. This one is going to be hosted by... Um, Gwen Melton, 
uh, and have guest speakers in Catherine Dow and a lawyer, Andrea Liberatore. Uh, hopefully, you'll find that a very interesting session. If it's anything like the last week's, it's going to be really interesting. Tune in by uh, clicking on the link to register for the webinar, or you can actually watch it on YouTube, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, or on Twitter, where it's going to be live streamed. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. I did. We'll see you next week.